Welcome to Content Pros Podcast, where we unlock the strategies and secrets of the best content marketers in the world and ask the questions you've always wanted asked. Content Pros is sponsored by Sixter, allowing marketers to automatically inject clickable images called campaigns into every one of their employee email signatures to promote their company's most important initiatives or content. Now, here are your hosts from Oracle Marketing Cloud, Chris Moody, and from Uberflip, Randy Frisch. Ready? Let's talk to the pros. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Content Pros Podcast. Really excited to be joined by one of my good friends, Judson Lipley. Thanks, Chris, for that. Uh, and uh, Judson, it's great to have you with us today. Um, I want to uh, you know, help everyone who, who isn't familiar with some of your work by giving some context. Uh, you know, you created a video, I, I, I guess it's about 10 years ago now, um, that has over 295 million views on YouTube called The Evolution of Dance. And uh, I, I wish I could tell you leading into this podcast recording that we have enough of an audience to push it over 300 million. But still, I think if you give everyone some context, we'll, we'll definitely pump those numbers by the end of this. Uh, so maybe you can you know, tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit of uh, how Evolution of Dance came to be. Sure. Uh, first off, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I began working as a professional speaker and kind of created a style that was a combination of content and comedy back in 1999, early 2000s. And a really good friend of mine gave me a great piece of advice when it came to working as a professional speaker about you have to do something that nobody else does. You have to create a bit or some sort of idea that kind of becomes your signature. And I tried a whole bunch of different things. And I had been talking a lot about change. And I I am a firm believer in the acceptance of things that we don't have control over and everything changes. And one night came up with an idea of how many songs have very specific dances that whenever you hear that song, there's a specific dance that you relate to that song. And I thought, man, it'd be funny to see some of those in like a little dance medley. And I was like, oh, that'd be funny to see some of those in order and came up with the name, The Evolution of Dance, ran back up to my hotel room, wrote down the title and the first 12 songs that came to mind, got a mixing program, learned how to mix music on my computer mixed together a little 12-song, two-and-a-half-minute track, and went out later on that week and performed it at one of my shows. And it went over fantastic. And then over the course of the next five years, I kept performing it and kept performing it and kept performing it. And it kept growing and getting bigger and bigger and bigger because people would come up after the show and say, hey, you need to add this song or you forgot to do this dance. And then in 2006... I put it up on, at the time, a very little known site called YouTube so that I could get an embedding code so that I could put it on my MySpace profile. <laughs> and then on its own, it just kind of started taking off. And about four or five weeks later, I kind of had the experience of having something, quote unquote, go viral. Yeah, you, you say that with so much humility, it's ridiculous. You're like, yeah, it just it, it kind of went viral. I mean, before Justin Bieber, this is like, the number two viewed video on YouTube, right? Like, wasn't it something crazy like that? Yeah, I held number one for about two years. And then an Avril Lavigne video came and took back over number took over number one. Then my video took back over number one for about another year and a half. And then eventually Justin Bieber destroyed everybody. 
It's Canadians, Avril and Justin. You know, you can't. That's what I was gonna say. I was like, (laughs) blaming Canada. It's all right. It's all right. I can take it. I can take it. (laughs) But then, then Cy came along and blew everybody out of water. And not proud of. So we gotta live with it all. Um, so, so I mean, as you put it, I mean, you you kind of came to finding YouTube very on in, in terms of its you know, understanding what YouTube was meant for. How would you how would you describe you know besides getting it as you said YouTube wasn't even where you wanted it to be posted, but you know what was your understanding of YouTube at that time as a channel once it started to take off, and and how did you approach that and either embrace it or you know to Chris's point was this just you know happening without you realizing? It was kind of a combination of both, really. You know, the reason that I picked YouTube was this was when MySpace was still big. And I was looking at friends of mine who had bands and other people that had posted videos. And I got to give YouTube credit. They put their watermark on their video if you embedded it into MySpace. Because there were about three or four different video platforms at the time. Uh, there was one called Video Egg which was popular back then. And there was one other one I can't remember. And I went to each site and honestly, YouTube's user interface and the ease in which it was to upload a video was better than all of the other ones. And so I, that's how, that's how I picked YouTube. And then when the video started going viral and things kind of started happening, I, I dove a little bit more into what YouTube was and was just pretty amazed at all the things that were on YouTube at the time. And I got lucky because when my video started taking off was right when YouTube started becoming kind of reached their tipping point and newscasts and different programs would start talking about this thing called YouTube. But then they would use my video as the reference point for something that you might find on YouTube. So what was it like in the aftermath of this? And I, and I guess how quickly did it build? Because I, I know we, when you filled out the pre-show survey, you said you're the only person to ever be on Oprah and Tosh.0. So that's a pretty wide spectrum, right? <laughs> Going from Oprah to one of the most popular comedy shows on TV today. Yeah, I, that, somebody told me that once and I had never thought about that. And I was like, oh, that's pretty interesting. But those are probably as far-fetched ends of audiences as you can get. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that the crossover between their two audiences is pretty low. Uh, It was really, it was such a unique situation. And the reason that I actually realized something was happening initially was because YouTube sends notifications if you have them turned on whenever somebody comments on a video, likes your video, or shares your video. And when I first uploaded my video, I didn't go into the settings and change any of those Uh, default settings. And so I started getting notifications that people were liking my video or commenting on it. And that's what drove me to go look at the site. And my first time I remember looking at it, I got a bunch of emails and I was like, what's going on? And I looked at the site and it had 30,000 views. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. No way. Maybe somebody will hire me to speak. Maybe I'll get a gig out of this. And I went away for the weekend to a no internet retreat type thing for high school students where I was leading some leadership stuff came back on Sunday and it had jumped up to half a million views. And I had a whole bunch of phone calls and a whole bunch of text messages and emails from friends and family members who someone had sent them the link to the video. And it was interesting because at first they were kind of wondering if I even knew that this video was out there. Like they were kind of being protective of me. Like, did you know somebody sending a video of you doing your dance all over the place? That's, that's wild. I mean, I mean, I can only imagine, you know, especially at the time when, 
when it was you know really lasting for this long. I mean, video today you know goes goes through that type of views a lot faster, um, you know, and, and then it's on to the next. But it, it, you've you've also managed to to really leverage that and and almost build a career from that as, as a launching point in some ways. Um, you know, can you maybe talk about you know how this has allowed you to leverage the evolution of dance on an ongoing basis? I mean, we're ten years since it happened and we're still talking about it uh, in a very relevant fashion. How, how have you managed to, to maintain that? Yeah, it's, it's honestly, it's, it's been a little surprising to me when everything kind of happened and it, and it did what it did and became very popular. It was, it was nice because it was kind of one of those things, you know, a lot of people love to be the first commenter on a video. You would see that a lot. It just says first. And I kind of feel like that was my experience with being viral in the YouTube era, I was kind of the first, which gives me a unique position in that there wasn't as much other content out there. You know, now we have tons and tons and tons of content and people kind of get into the mindset, oh, that was amazing. That's awesome. Okay, what's next? And back then, the legs of a viral video were much longer than they are today. So I think that's a big reason why I've been able to utilize and leverage my particular experience a little bit longer than most. Uh, I think the other reason is, is, is it was something that I was doing before the video. I was already speaking. I was already performing. And so I had at least six years of practice to hone my craft in that context. And so then when something like that happens, I didn't try to pivot and go in a different direction a lot of people who have an experience in a viral sensation of some sort might have an opportunity that comes up and they think that it's a great idea and they want to do it, but they don't have the background. And so they try to attempt, you know, people who maybe have a song, you know, um, Rebecca Black, who has a Friday song, you know, Rebecca wasn't a recording artist. So she didn't have years and years of working as a, a musician uh, on stage presence and things like that. So for her, it was a, maybe a little bit more difficult to really leverage her particular viral video um, or somebody else who gets a viral video that doesn't have the ability to demonstrate that live. And so that's kind of where I was fortunate that what I did in the video is something that I can do live. And it's something that I had been doing live and attaching that along with my speaking was something that I was already doing. So I just got really kind of a rocket booster of 10 to 15 years worth of acceleration from an exposure standpoint. And I told myself, I sat down with some friends of mine who are in kind of in the, the world of speaking and, and run an agency, you know, what should we really do? How do we really leverage this? Cause it's such a new entity. And we kind of agreed that we would just ride the wave, so to say, until it started to slow down. And it, that was 10 years ago. <laughs> so I'm still kind of waiting for it to slow down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that's honestly one of my favorite parts because there I'm sure there's a part of you that's like, God, could I ever stop talking about this one thing? Like maybe that is a part, but at the same time, it, it's one of those serendipitous things where everyone thinks it's an overnight success. And you even said you were doing this for five years. It just happened to be in the right place and at the right time. So it feels like there's a lot that we can learn from this more than just saying like, yeah, Judson made that one famous video because I mean, you, you really know your stuff too. You were doing this before you're a motivational speaker. I mean, there's lots of substance. It wasn't just like some weird thing that everyone liked online. Right. Yeah. You know, 
I think the world of comedians is one of the world that kind of parallels the professional speaking world a lot. And if you look at some of the big comedians over the years, there's usually one bit that propels them past that tipping point. But you don't see the 6, 7, 10, 15, 20, sometimes 30 years of work the whole time before that. You know, you look at somebody like Larry the Cable Guy who, you know, has her get her done or Jeff Foxworthy and his You Might Be a Redneck. And Chris Rock had a couple of different signature bits that kind of exploded for him. But they worked for years on the road, honing their craft and getting good at doing comedy. But then something happens and all of a sudden everybody's talking about it. And then they're like, oh, they came out of nowhere. Well, no, they didn't. They came out of 10 years of hard work and eventually just had that one particular thing that kind of put them in the minds of, of everybody. It's, it, what's interesting, too, is, you know, when you told the story at the beginning to, you know, to hear that this wasn't something that you did for the first time and put on YouTube that night and then all of a sudden it goes viral. Um, it was something you had actually been doing as a routine for a number of years and that helped you. You know, in contrast today, I think as, as, you know, content creators, we focus so much on, you know, real time content, you know, creating something in the moment, getting it up as soon as it's done and out the door. And I'm just wondering how that's evolved for you as you continue to create content um, is, you know, are, are you trying to get stuff out more quickly um, or are you, you know, taking that same discipline that landed you this success, which is, you know, really perfect something before you put it out the door. Yeah, it's an interesting position to be in, I think, because there's there's positives to both sides of it. There's the mindset of oh, it's good enough now and it doesn't have to be perfect because this is good information. And then there's maybe the performance side of it that says, OK, I really need to practice this and hone it down. You know, and that's one of the things I think that's such a unique difference and one of the the thing that separates a live performance or a live entity or a live speech or an in-person conversation versus some of the more digital things. Because when we see something in real life, we want it to be perfect. When we see something digitally or from a content standpoint, we're okay with it not being perfect. Because I think we realize that we'd rather have it now than have to wait. So from a personal standpoint, you know, I am working on a third dance to kind of go along with the 10 year anniversary. And so I will practice that and have been practicing pieces of that for a long time (laughs) because I don't want to just put it together and go out and try it. You know, I unfortunately only have about five seconds of video footage from the very first time that I performed the Evolution of Dance and it was not good. Like I look back at it now and I'm like, oh my gosh, (laughs) thankfully the people just thought it was funny enough that I felt that they liked it (laughs) because some of the dances are just bad. So I think you definitely have to weigh what it is you're putting out there and figure out, is this something that needs a little bit more work or is this something that is good enough now? And that's a question that oftentimes, you know, if you put out too much stuff that needs more tweaking, it will probably drive people away. But if you wait too long to put out more stuff, then people will forget about you. So that's kind of that paradoxical moment that we're in right now. 
So if we fast forward 15 years from the first five second clip of you doing this dance, right? <laughs> you are in the YouTube rewind video, which is one of the biggest videos they produce, right? And I, you know more about it than most people. So I, I'm curious for, for those who haven't watched it, if you go to YouTube rewind or just search Google YouTube rewind, it's going to come up. It's for 2015. So it's some of the most popular videos ever on YouTube and a lot of people all in one video together. And you have a part in that. So maybe you could talk to kind of the whirlwind of you know the overnight success that took 15 years, right? Where, you know, it was big on YouTube and now you're with some of the biggest content creators on YouTube who now are making millions of dollars because it's a monetization platform. So maybe if you could just share your, your full picture of what that was like and how you felt about that. Sure. There are people who are amazing at producing content. And when you look at it from a content world, you know, YouTube is really revolutionary. I think it was what a a last year they started including YouTube channel subscribers in the Nielsen ratings, uh, as far as like cable shows went and out of the top 50 programs, 20 of them were YouTube channels. You know, people that have millions of subscribers who every time they put up a video, more people watch that than watch CNN every single night or even popular TV shows. They get two or 3 million viewers and these people are getting that many views for every video that they put out. And then you've got people like me who just kind of did a little one-off video. So to say, you know, kind of like a one hit wonder that because I was early and because it was so big, kind of have like this Godfather like, (laughs) Uh, viewpoint from some of the other people in the YouTube world. You know, when I did the the rewind video and they've been doing those, I think for about four years now, at the end of the year, they kind of do a year in review of all the different internet memes and videos that were popular on YouTube and other social media sites. And so for the 2015 one, they wanted to do a really big one to celebrate the 10 years of YouTube. And so they got as many people as they could squeeze into this video. And if you watch the video, it's really amazing how many people are in this video. And they're only in there for like a quick one second, one or two seconds, because they just have so much to, to put in there. And while I was making that, I was talking with some of the other people, uh, Rhett and Link, who I performed with, who are killing it on YouTube, who are, have like 10 different channels. They Last year, Forbes estimated that they made $3.5 million across their platform um, in revenue, which is really just amazing if you really think about it. And they're doing it right. They build an audience, they put out great content on a consistent basis, and they're able to make a lot of money and entertain and help a lot of people in the process. But if you were to go talk to Adweek or people in everyday walk of life, a lot of people wouldn't know who they are. Yet they've got, I think, almost 5 million subscribers through, across their YouTube channels which is a huge, huge, huge audience. And so for me, it's been a lot of fun because of my video. I've got to do all sorts of crazy things. I got to be in a uh, bare naked ladies video. I got to be in a Weezer video. Uh, and then I got to do this, you know, 10 year YouTube rewind video. And so it's been a lot of fun to meet some of the other people who've had these experiences. And I'm kind of in awe of those ones who have built up a massive following on YouTube because they've been putting out good content consistently for a long period of time and build those audiences. You know, to be successful on YouTube as a business, it's not about having one video that gets 300 million views or 295 million views. You need to have 295 videos that each get a million views. 
because then you've got an audience and you can get sponsorship and find marketers who want to target that audience that you have because the analytics and YouTube are incredible. They know exactly who's watching, how long they're watching. I have a good friend, a guy by the name of Steve Spangler, who if you've ever seen the Diet Coke and Mentos um, videos from back in the day, Steve is the guy that invented the gadget that drops the Mentos into the Diet Coke. So he has a company and he sells science equipment and science experiments to work with kids, but he's got a huge YouTube channel and a huge YouTube following. And most people don't know who he is. He goes on Ellen like three or four times a year. He, you know, he's, he's friends with Ellen and he's built a great business with the help of YouTube. And he was one of YouTube's original hundred partners when they did their hundred partners a couple of years ago to help build that audience. And so I look at him and I see what he's done and it's, it's just incredible because he's putting out great content consistently over a long period of time and really build up a great audience. It's, that's, you know, it's, it's interesting just to see how, how much has come. I mean, I'm, I'm also relieved to hear as much as Avril and Justin Bieber kind of hurt your ratings, you know, bare naked ladies and other Canadian, uh, you know, band did embrace you. That's, that's one we're probably proud of. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, am just wondering your opinion in terms of, you know, you know, it's debatable when it was easier, right? You know, when was it easier to, you know, break out on YouTube? Was it easier 10 years ago uh, without all the, you know, noise that we have today? Or is it easier today with all the tools and all the, you know, uh, you know, seeking of, of, you know, the next big thing? But maybe more to, to go into your opinion is, you know, in terms of those, what's, who do you think it's easier for? You know, do you think it's easier for brands to break onto YouTube or do you think it's easier for the you know freelancers of the world? Um, because you know a lot of the success stories you're talking about are not you know big brands who have tried to create content and get onto YouTube or shows that were previously not on YouTube trying to adjust to YouTube. A lot of the ones we think of, you know, just they broke out on that channel directly there. So where where do you who do you think has the edge? Uh, that's a great question. I think it's an interesting I think it was probably maybe four or five years ago would have been the ideal time to try and start. I think you definitely are in a position now where the tools and the channels and the avenues are better today, but there's also a lot more. So you're you're dealing with having to fight against the attention of all of these other different brands and all these other people, whereas a couple years ago, there wasn't as much. Um, I think it's much easier for individuals and people who aren't attached to brands to break out. You know, one of the things I think about YouTube and some of the other Vine and, and Instagram and Snapchat and all these things is the younger generation who is a major, a vast majority of those people who are on there. I mean, there, there are other ages, of course, but the young generation really is the ones who have embraced it. They still have somewhat of a jaded view towards quote unquote sellouts, not as much as the people from the sixties and the seventies, because they understand that part of getting this great content from these people that they love means those people have to be able to make a living. And in order for them to make a living, they're going to need some content sponsorship and some brand sponsorship. So I think they're a little bit more open to it, but in the early stages, I think what appeals to a lot of people is the fact that there is no sponsorship off the bat. You know, they're just getting the authentic person or the authentic ideas from that. I think if brands do it right, I think they're in a really good position to be able to reach more people. You know, there's been a couple of 
case studies of companies who through YouTube or through viral video have actually been able to increase their sales. That doesn't necessarily mean they increased it forever, but um, I think back to the tongue brush, the guy that did the big giant tongue, the young marketing student who did those videos for a guy that had a tongue brush that he couldn't get into CVS or Walmart or any of these big brand stores. They just wouldn't listen to him. And then he started doing these videos of this giant tongue and brushing this tongue and stuff and eventually was able to move millions and millions of units because these companies started calling him to get his product into their stores. Or then you look at the Million Dollar Shave Club who did that first, I forget what the, what it's called, the type of video, but that first walkthrough video with the CEO. And they were able to sign up millions of people for their service because of one phenomenally great video. So I think it's definitely kind of a, a combination of both. It's definitely easier to get into it now, but I think it's a little bit more difficult to break out because there's so much more noise. Whereas maybe five years ago, it was a little bit easier to break out, but it wasn't as easy to get into it. Well, you hit on breaking out of the noise. And one of our sponsors, who is actually the parent producer of this podcast, Convince and Convert, they have an email that is definitely not noise. It's pulling out the best content for various topics on a daily basis. It's called Definitive. So you'll love this email. It's from Convince and Convert. Many marketers say that it's the most useful resource around. So every single day, the team at Convince and Convert picks a topic and they'll send you the three best resources ever created about that topic. It's topical, it's timely, it's useful. You can go to definitivedigest.com and subscribe for free right now. So Judson, I'm really curious. You're working on your next Evolution of Dance video and you've obviously learned a ton. You've talked to many people who are insanely successful on YouTube. You've had an insane amount of success on YouTube. So what's going into this launch? Are you treating it differently than you would in the past? Or is it just going to be a great video that you upload? Because I know I will share it. I'm sure Randy will share it. Convince and Convert will share it. So, you know, we can help put a little bit of traction there. But what's what goes into the launch of the next video based on what you've learned? Uh, well, thanks for saying that you share that. I appreciate that. So, and again, it kind of comes back to figuring out the that formula. It's obvious to me this this video is not going to do what the first video did. I have no reservations about that. I'm not naive to be like, oh yeah, it's going to get a hundred million views. You know, part of me doing the third one is a kind of thanking everyone that's ever watched the video in the first place and celebrating that ten year anniversary. And I mean. I'm getting a little bit older. I'll turn 40 in March. And my running joke is that eventually me doing the dance is going to go from funny to sad. So I'm kind of trying to get the last one out there. I figure I might have four to five, maybe six, seven, eight years left of actually performing the dance just from a physical standpoint before it starts to deteriorate a little bit. So I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to record it as close to the day that I'm going to release it on YouTube as I can only because I got it's going to be very difficult when I actually film it to keep anyone else from filming it. And I think that's one of the biggest differences nowadays too about stuff that goes viral. If you're trying to create something that you want to put out, it's hard to keep that hidden. You've got to have really good control over that. So I'll put it out and then I will probably just post it on most of my social media things and contact some people that I'm friends with and people that I've worked with before in the past and say, if you like it, share it. 
And we'll kind of just see how it goes from there. And I'm kind of curious to see what it will do this time around because there is so much more stuff out there. Yeah, I, I'm, I mean, I'm going to date this podcast a bit, but I'm still kind of crossing my fingers that when I watch Super Bowl this weekend, that that's where it's going to debut. Like, you know, there's a lot of room in the halftime show, I'm sure. No? <laughs> Trust me, I would let you know if that was happening. <laughs> Although I did. I did get an email. We can date this. We will date this podcast. But somebody sent me an article from Ad Age today that there's a major brand doing a Joy of Dancing commercial in the Super Bowl this year. And it's basically, I'm not the first person to ever come up with the idea of a chronological medley of any sort. But one of the comments in the thing is, do you suppose anyone from their creative team actually watched the Evolution of Dance video? <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. So, so one of the questions we always like to kind of you know finish off with, and you know, it'd be great to to understand what you were looking forward to to be as a, as a child growing up. So that's uh, you know how we always like to look back to where you got to today, and maybe you can kind of you know rewind the clock more than fifteen years. Okay. So you're just wondering what did I think I was going to be doing when I was a kid? Exactly. You know, I'm one of those few lucky people. I actually have a journal entry from high school that says I will be a professional speaker. And I didn't know how I was going to do it. I didn't know the path that I would take, but my parents used to listen to a guy named Zig Ziglar when I was in middle school. And I remember hearing his tapes and seeing some of his videos and the cassette tapes and things like that and thinking that I would love to do that someday. So I didn't know how I was going to do it. I didn't know when it would happen, but I always knew that that was something that I was going to do. I'm a third of three children. I'm the youngest. I've kind of got that look at me, look at me, look at me attitude growing up. So being on stage and being in front of people was always something that I really enjoyed. And I've always enjoyed the idea of thinking and getting people to think and talking and hashing things out and kind of having those moments of contemplation and getting people to do that while also being entertaining and giving them something fun to laugh at. It was just perfect win-win for me. That's an awesome one. I'm a big fan of Zig Ziglar too, Judson. I've actually referenced some of his stories and talks, especially about similar situation selling. So it's, you know, solving a problem for someone like you, and then they're going to trust you, that kind of gist. But yeah, great stuff there. And we're really looking forward to the next video. So let us know what we can do to help promote that and get some eyeballs because I'm sure it's going to be outstanding. So thank you very much for joining the show today. I am Chris Moody from Oracle Marketing Cloud. I've been joined by my lovely and amazing co-host, Randy Frisch from Uberflip. And we are the Content Pros Podcast. You can follow us at contentprospodcast.com. Subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, anywhere you like to get your podcast. And we will talk to you next week. Thanks for tuning in to Content Pros. Please leave a review and subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast listening app. Go to contentprospodcast.com for a complete show archive and greatest hits. Content Pros is sponsored by Oracle Marketing Cloud, Uberflip, and by Sixter, and is produced by Convince and Convert Media. Find more great shows like Content Pros at marketingpodcast.com, the first search engine for marketing podcasts. Podcast imaging by Audio